Hello and welcome to the Friday, April 30th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, 100 days and the census says. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up today, 100 days. 100 days into his administration, President Joe Biden is being compared to FDR and LBJ. Makes me wonder if he'll start going as JRB. Um, because of his range of policy and spending proposals that would transform the scope of the federal government in so many ways. Reaction to the president's 100-day speech to Congress predictably fell along party and ideological lines. Socialism cried the right while the most woke progressives dinged Biden for not going far enough fast. Say what Republicans will about the heavy hand of government and more fluff and free stuff. It appears that rather than do one thing at a time, Biden is going all in on his whole agenda. Call it ambitious, call it costly, call it crazy. But if nothing else, uh, it's making Republicans crazy. Is that part of the strategy, Aaron? He's giving Republicans so much to attack that their attacks, no matter how well reasoned, sound like partisan noise. Well, I I, I think a, a couple things maybe that the, that the Biden administration has realized, and, and one is uh, regarding the uh, Republican attacks. I, I think um, that they have seen the writing on the wall that regardless of what they do, uh, the Republican attacks are going to come. Um, I, I know, and, and it's and it's kind of interesting because Joe Biden on the campaign trail talked a lot about um, wanting to be bipartisan and, and he'll work with Republicans wherever he can. But I, 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 I suspect that somewhere along the line, it's it's uh, whether the light bulb went off with Joe Biden himself or whether his, uh, you know, the people around him kind of convinced him that, we're not going to get that help very often, so let's just do what we feel that we need to do and not worry about whether we get Republicans to praise us for doing it. Um, and then the other thing is I, I think that they have made the calculation of, as you said, going big and, and um, you know, in some respects kind of opening up the fire holes. Um, that was one of the things that Democrats said that maybe they learned out of the Obama administration. I, I heard a lot of read about a lot of Democrats saying there was regret that, that, that he didn't go bigger with some of his programs early in his um, tenure, and 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 also that voters actually maybe don't seem to care as much about the price tag for stuff as as maybe we all have thought in the past. <clears throat> I think there has been hesitance in the past, especially on the part of Democrats sometimes to maybe <clears throat> be careful about some plans or proposals or whatever it may be for worry of sticker shock. And, and I think elected officials at the federal level are learning that maybe they don't really have to worry about that. Uh, Republicans went through with a huge tax plan during the Donald Trump um, term that uh, was, was very expensive and, you know, added to the debt, which Republicans used to care about, all of a sudden do again now that they're out of power. Um, and they didn't get 
punished for that in any way. And, and I think the Biden administration is saying, look, we, we've got some things we want to do and we're not going to worry about the price tag because people don't actually care. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, I mean, Republicans are really complaining about uh, lack of bipartisanship, but they don't seem to be showing signs that they want to be bipartisan. It, 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 you know, we're, we're at that point where, sure, I want to be bar- bipartisan as long as you accept whatever I'm offering. Um, right. you know, <laughs> bipartisanship doesn't include compromise, uh, which seems, uh, you know, like yeah, yeah, the essential ingredient. Like- yeah, it definitely feels like to, the, to to Republicans in Congress right now, bipartisanship means uh, waiting for Democrats to propose conservative legislation, uh, not um, waiting for both parties to come to the, to the middle on something. Right, right. And I, and I think the other point you made about the price tag is interesting that, you know, everything the, the Biden administration is proposing, someone else is going to pay for, rich people, corporations, um, which, you know, it it's it's sort of an easy case to make when you look at you know you see the stories of you know Jeff Bezos or, or people like that who aren't paying taxes or Amazon isn't paying taxes and it's you know uh, us little people look at that and say well like yeah they can pay for uh, free childcare they can pay for uh, trillion dollar infrastructure programs let them pay for it um, and, and the Biden administration this week uh, announced they want what is it like eighty million dollars to go to beef up IRS enforcement they figured they can. Uh, gain something like, I don't know, 800 million uh, by better enforcement of tax rules. So, you know, it, it's the old thing, um, as long as I don't have to pay for it, sure, I'll go along with it. Um, <laughs> I mean, there, there are folks that would tell you that, uh, you know, there's trickle down on taxes, too, that if, you, if we tax the corporations, As far as selling those programs, it seems to be effective because, you know, his programs seem to be pretty popular at this point. Um, Biden seems to be concerned about history, how history will judge him. And Amy, last week you talked about how maybe he knows he's going to be a one term president or, you know, he's sort of preparing for that uh, eventuality. And that's one reason why he's pushing everything so fast in hopes of getting something accomplished in his time in office. Or could it be that uh, he's looking ahead and he says there's a possibility or some people would say a probability that he'll have to work with the Republican House after the 2022. I mean, it's definitely it could definitely be both. Um, And it's a good strategy either way. I think there's a third strategy. And that strategy is um, obviously we're, we're, you know, interested in the political cycles and how they they turn over. But one thing that really hasn't happened in our recent memory is a giant pandemic that decimated the economy. And so a lot of these programs are also trying to just build that back up just to return sort of a normalcy among people because Biden's banking on that normalcy um, being good for for the Democrats and and for the person in power, um, which is him. Also, I think he's really trying to reach out to that working class coalition that has shifted to the Trump side. If you're providing them with free childcare, um, schooling that starts earlier, um, schooling that goes later into community college, um, you can really start to bring this coalition back. I mean, the Democrats were so used to being the party of unions and then unions were decimated and, and they sort of, you know, floundered for a number of years. Now, I think you're really seeing the, the tide turn where they're saying, hey, maybe these progressive policies, if couched in a working class 
um, you know, ideology can really turn the tide for Democrats and back to that sort of working class coalition that they they want and they crave. So well, I think whether he runs or not, I think it, it really is is going to do well for the party. And that's sort of always been Biden's thing. Right. And, and most of his uh, plans involve jobs, which also appeals to working class Americans. Um, yeah. And. I mean, the the old idea of working class Americans being, you know, a guy going out and doing the job and, and the wife staying home and raising kids, um, you know, that's not really, that's not reality anymore. So there is much more demand for things like childcare and pre-K and all those things. So he, I think you're right. He's, he's making an appeal to that segment of society that uh, um, to a larger degree stuck with Trump in 2020, but maybe in 2022 and 2024 will uh, you know uh, look at things differently especially if if the economy rebounds if there are jobs and some of these programs uh, actually get enacted Um, yeah i think he he really is betting on that if he has to get these through otherwise the public is going to look at him and be like what have you done for me and vote for republicans And, and and it also he really doesn't have that much time i i remember um Four years ago, Chuck Grassley saying that President Trump had about a year to get things going, get things done, because once the calendar flips over to 2018, it was, you know, it was the election season. And the same thing is going to happen as soon as we get into 2022. Uh, you know, it's going to be an election year and that's going to change everything. Uh, so I think there, there really is a pressure on Biden and, and Democrats in Congress to get some of these programs rolling. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, as I mentioned, Aaron, uh, Biden's approval rating is over 50 percent, 53, 54, 55 in there, uh, higher on specific issues. Uh, is it him or does Biden benefit from uh, uh, not being Trump and the feeling that the coronavirus pandemic is ending and the economy is recovering, that he's just in the right place at the right time? <laughs> yeah, I think you've probably got um, uh, uh, we're probably looking at a mixture of, of all those things um, you just talked about there. Um, he, I, I'm sure there's a little bit of a, a post-Trump bump uh, there. Uh, you know, obviously Trump still has a lot of people who support him and, and, and the Republicans were willing to stick with him. Uh, but when you talk about those, uh, that ever shrinking slice of the pie that is still out there that, will swing back and forth between parties. Um, uh, clearly a good segment of those um, are, are okay with the, the job that uh, Joe Biden's doing. Yeah. The pandemic um, is obviously becoming under control. Life's looking more and more like it used to as, as time goes on. And, and uh, that's, you know, that's going to help that sentiment. You mentioned the economy. Um, people are getting back to work. Um, so, so yeah, it's part of its, uh, uh, circumstances, but, but part of it is, is what he's been doing too. I'm sure, you know, uh, as you mentioned, Jim, some of the things that he's introduced are, are popular with the public is his pandemic relief package has been popular. The, the, this next round that's coming out with the, uh, with the child, uh, tax credit, uh, um, expansion that that's a popular idea. Um, so, so he's, he's been doing some things. Um, that um, 
uh, that uh, are popular with the public as well. Um, and and he hasn't had that big crisis yet that maybe stunts a, a president's approval rating. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that that could still come. It usually does. Uh, I guess the we'll see how bad things get uh, on the immigration. Uh, front with what's happening at right. the southern border, but as of now, that hasn't seemed to have have taken um, a, a toll on his approval uh, numbers. Maybe that does eventually. Maybe it's something else. Um, but but for now, it's been a it's been a as much as there is such a thing anymore in our partisan uh, climate that it's it's the honeymoon period is <laughs> it's kind of hung on for for Joe Biden for now. Yeah. But what happens if there's a, a fourth or fifth, uh, I'm losing count, uh, fifth wave of COVID-19, uh, if, if things really fall apart in Afghanistan when we pull troops out or, or some, you know, surprise that we aren't expecting? Uh, Amy, if, if downtown Waterloo still has more empty storefronts than, and unfilled offices than uh, it did, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, does that put a damper on the era of good feeling? And, and even if the, the the bigger economy gets going, as it appears to be, uh, but I mean, if the local economy still looks kind of wobbly. Does that affect him? Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe not. It's, I mean, downtowns have been emptying out, obviously, in places like Iowa for a long time. Um, I think even if you get a fourth or fifth wave, unless it really starts affecting vaccinated people. Um, I mean, we've got as a, as a state, like over a third of people vaccinated, which is uh, amazing. Um, and a lot of people have had their first vaccinations already and, and more will have it in a couple of weeks. So I'm hoping that these variants um, aren't vaccine killers and, and will stay away from us. And I think Biden's hoping that too. That's why he's trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible. You're seeing what's happening in places like India and Brazil and just this devastation of these variants. So, I mean, if that happens, you, yeah, you really will see a, a tide turn if, it, if it's going to, if the vaccine's not going to work anymore and we have to go back to the way it was. And then people are really going to be mad because they're going to know how that was at the first, you know, Trump got a little bit of a pass. Nobody knew it was going to happen. Um, you know, obviously you can argue that that was a factor in the election. Um, there were other factors, but I think you're right too, James, that if, if he gets hammered on the border, um, and that actually works. And, and Aaron was talking about, you know, how it hasn't so far, but Republicans are really still hammering it. Um, Ashley Hinson mentions it every time, you know, she has a press call. So I think it's really an issue that he does have to eventually tackle. I think he's trying to with Kamala Harris, um, you know, and, and sort of assigning her to the, you know, Central America beat, if you will. Um, but <laughs> I think, yeah, it if if he gets these programs passed and, and the coronavirus does not mutate in such a way that it affects vaccinated people. I think he's going to be in the, in the clear for a little bit, but this is Biden. This is gaff Biden. You know, I mean, he could make us something happen to himself, but, but, but at the same time, are we really going to look at a, a, a Biden gaff and say that it's any worse than a Trump gaff? That is an unknown. You know, I think well, Democrats are going to give him a wide berth on that. Yeah. And I think the public will too. I, I mean, he's for one thing, he's more likable than Donald Trump. Uh, number two, he doesn't insult people uh, on a daily, hourly basis like Donald Trump did. <laughs> that we know about. Yeah, yeah. So I think the public will, will give him a, um, you know, cut him a lot more slack if things don't go as well as he's hoping. Um, I guess 
maybe the first real test will come in 2022, which uh, leads us right into our second segment here about the census says. Long, the first uh, long-awaited census numbers came out this week, and as expected, Iowa's population numbers remain high enough that we will retain our four congressional districts. Texas will gain two, and five other states in the South and West pick up an additional House seat. Seven states, mostly from the Northeast and Midwest, each lose a seat. At first glance, this would seem like good news for Republicans who largely control those states where former Donald Former President Donald Trump did well, take you know, places like Texas, um, for example. Um, it's important to remember that the number of House seats had, uh, a state has determines its electoral college clout. The states losing representation, California, New York, Illinois are blue states. Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania are more of a mixed bag, swing states perhaps. Um, so Aaron, does this bode well for a second Trump? presidency. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. It, it's uh, anytime you have, again, as, as I meant, talked about the ever shrinking slice of uh, the electorate that's, um, you know, considered in the swing vote category anymore. There's also an ever shrinking uh, number of states that are true toss ups in, in presidential um, elections anymore. Um, so, so anytime that, uh, uh, that can be, that needle can be moved even a little bit, it's, it's worth paying attention to. Um, uh, so, and, and as, as we talked about the, the house races, um, next year, uh, the race for control of the house is, is expected to be very close. So, so any, any way that that affects that is, it, could be significant. Um, uh, so it's interesting. I don't know that it's anything we can necessarily put our thumb on it at this moment, but it's obviously something um, we'll all be watching closely, starting with next year's midterms to see if, if uh, anybody came out of this um, a little better. And as you, as for the reasons you laid out, if, if anything, it does seem like maybe it was um, good news for Republicans. We'll, we'll see if that that turns out to be the case. The, the, I guess you'd call it the 30,000 foot view of population numbers suggests that even in red states where the fastest growth is happening, the fastest growth there is in blue areas, Austin, Texas, for example, the research triangle right. of North Carolina. So, um, and, and there's also a share of this growth in those states that is fueled by blue state residents moving to warmer climates where the economy is better. So, Amy, if you look at Iowa, does the same hold true here? for 2022, that it might be a uh, turnaround year for Democrats to make gains as population in blue counties, such as Polk, Scott, Lynn, Blackhawk, which vote Democratic, uh, that population increases while rural Iowa continues to lose population. If, for example, Representative Ashley Hansen is in a new district with Lynn, Blackhawk, and Dubuque, but loses some rural counties to, say, the fourth district, uh, does a Democratic challenger Amy Fakenauer, perhaps, have a chance to make her a one-termer? I don't know. So if you're if you're looking at, you know, sort of the way that Iowa's gone red, um, it's sort of all of these disparate blue counties just disappearing. And and you're really down to what you said, Polk, Scott, Blackhawk, um, you know, a couple other ones, Woodbury. But 
at the same time, you know, obviously it's not county by county, it's district and it's, it's population and how many voters. So I think the, it's always been swinging in the first, I mean, since ever, um, Ashley Hinson held on to it this time. Abby Finkenauer took it from Rod Blum last time. It's, I would try to make a prediction, but I would be massively wrong, basically. I just would have no idea. Even if you're seeing gains in these metro counties, they're not big gains. I mean, overall, Iowa's population isn't growing that much, four and a half percent, maybe. Um, and I don't necessarily think that there's a ton of gains in the first district. Um, I would venture to guess that that more of them are Des Moines. You're going to see a, a lot in, in the Cedar Rapids area, too. But I think ultimately, if if they really want to get the gains back, it's it's really going to depend on motivating these voters because I really think the district is like half and half. So if you're going to motivate them one way or the other way, you really have to start that groundwork now. Um, I think you I mean, as much as people hate ongoing elections, like Democrats really need to hammer the district pretty, pretty hard and, and start hammering, you know, Ashley Hinson pretty hard. They think they they want to have a shot or in these other um, districts where they think they have a shot. I think um, Marion Mil- Marionette Miller Meeks is a good candidate for that as well. Obviously she only won by six votes or something like that. Yes. So it's, it's very, they're, they're very close. I think Democrats would be good to, to try to motivate people in the district to, to win back a couple of these seats. Of course, uh, none of that will matter if the democratic conspiracy theories that uh, GOP will gerrymander the the redistricting process uh, Mm. comes true. (laughs) But Aaron, I think it, it raises the question about legislative districts and control of the, the Iowa legislature. If the growth is in these uh, blue counties, and if you think about Lynn, Polk, Blackhawk, Woodbury, Dallas County, uh, Scott County, it, it seems possible maybe they pick up uh, at least a Senate district in each of those areas. Polk County might even pick up a couple. Um uh, you know, if in, you know, starting out, you would say the odds are those are going to be Democratic seats. Um, you know, so, I mean, in 2022, we could see uh, some change in both the House and Senate, possibly. I mean, if you think about six or seven uh, new urban districts, 12 House seats, it could put the House in play, too, couldn't it? Ah. Boy, potentially, uh, uh, the the only reason I hesitate is is fifty nine to forty one is is a is a is a big is a big, it's a big hill to climb. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's yeah. even bigger in the Senate. Now that said, you know we we don't know what the maps will uh, look like, and and maybe it is, um, you know, and, and it would take a combination. You know, they're not going to get nine good new uh, solid Democratic. Um, you know, districts, it, it, it'd have to be a combination of, you know, maybe a few districts swinging their way and then a, and then a few um, and then a few toss up districts, you know, go their way in the election. Um, so so if you get a confluence of factors like that, then then maybe the house becomes in play again. Uh, yeah. But uh, and that's what's kind of interesting about all this is just the unknowns and and what the maps are going to look like and then and then what the electric's going to look like. I mean, that's that's the other thing regardless of what the maps look like coming out of redistricting, um, we don't know exactly what the voters are going to look like, you know, in, in this first midterm after presidential election, Donald Trump not on the ballot, all these 
uh, factors that, uh, you know, we don't know exactly who's going to turn out and, and, and how they're going to vote. So um, it, it's, it, it's just uh, at the very least, it, uh, uh, it's going to be really interesting for those of us who kind of do this, uh, take this in on a daily basis. Uh, um, this whole next year and a uh, year and a half or so is, is, is going to be really interesting. And the other thing that is worth mentioning is that whenever you have redistricting every 10 years, uh, it, it sort of creates its own turmoil that, you know, legislators get thrown into the same district. Um, so maybe either they move or somebody retires. Uh, it creates new opportunities for challengers. It, it's really sort of uh, um, anything goes almost uh, in, in the, that first election after redistricting. Um, it's not uncommon to see significant turnover, significant change in the legislature in, in that first election after redistricting. And, and so um, and we never really know um, how much impact that's going to have uh, until the election. But as we get more uh, census numbers and as the redistricting process proceeds, I'm sure we'll have more to discuss in future editions of On Out of Politics. If you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send your fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. You can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Surf Zombies will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Amy, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.